Well, good morning, church. Guests, uh, family members that have joined our church this morning, we're grateful that you're here. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn not to Genesis, where we have been week after week, month after month for the past little bit. Turn to the middle of your Bible. Uh, kids, just go ahead and attempt. Just try to flip right to the exact middle of the Bible. Just see if you happen to land in Psalm 61. If not, you've probably hit a psalm, and so go lower or higher depending upon what number you see next to it, all right? Psalm 61, if you don't have a Bible uh, with you, you probably have a black one underneath your chair or on your table uh, with you. This is a special uh, morning for us as a church, uh, for the universal church. If you don't know... Today is Easter. Today is a day that the church around the world is celebrating not only the, the death and burial of Jesus Christ, God's Son, um, but praise the Lord, we're celebrating His resurrection, His uh, life again. Uh, praise the Lord that the, the tomb was empty on that Sunday morning. Uh, when Mary and some of the other women went to anoint Jesus' body with oils. Uh, we have much to be thankful for. And, and we're taking a pause from our series in Genesis. Uh, and as we have been doing when we pause this, this year thus far, uh, we've also been reading in the book of Psalms. And so we've tried to pick a psalm that if you're reading along with us in our Bible reading plan, you would have read this week. And lo and behold, in Graham and I's reading through these psalms uh, a couple weeks ago, we read Psalm 61. And uh, you, it's hard to read Psalm 61 as a Christian and not see Easter in this passage. If you didn't see it when Daniel just read for us, I'll point it out to us in just a, a bit, but I want you to be listening for it and looking for it. Uh, there in Psalm 61. Uh, again, like some of the other brothers have said, in the Psalms, it's really, I know you don't know what this is, but back in the day, kids, there was this thing called a hymn book. And, and it would be another hard back, archaic looking book sitting under your chair or on the pew behind you at church. And instead of opening it up and seeing only words, you would see like a bunch of dots and a bunch of flags and a bunch of lines with words underneath them. That's called music. Uh, some people can read it. Most of us cannot. And so we're thankful to just look at the words on the screen. But churches had hymn books back in the day when they didn't have to set up and tear down. Amen, Casey? Amen. There we go. Uh, this is Israel's hymn book, the Psalms, and it was composed over hundreds and hundreds of years, not all at once, like you may think. Inside the book of Psalms, there's other books. Did you know that? Did you know there's five books inside the entire book of Psalms? Well, our passage this morning, Psalm 61, lands in book two. Book two starts in chapter 41. Uh, and continues on beyond ours, I think to 72. This is the second book, uh, and it was compiled much later after the first 41 Psalms uh, that we have. And in fact, not only is, is, does that help us to understand what's happening in this passage, uh, but even the Psalms just before Psalm 61 help us to understand. If you were to look back all the way to Psalm 51 and began looking at the titles of some of those psalms, what you would find is superscriptions. Uh, right next to the big number, you're going to see uh, a little bit of information that was given by the, uh, the, the person who either composed the psalm or the person who compiled the psalms together that tells you where and why this psalm was written, why this song was written. And in the entire book of Psalms, there's 13 of these superscriptions that tell us 
why and where these songs were written. Seven of those 13 happen right here in this section. Uh, Most of these songs around this Psalm 61 happened in the life of David that you can read about in 1st and 2nd Samuel. And you can read through these Psalms and many of them, they're all of the ones beforehand, except for maybe one of them are songs of lament. Sad songs. If we had the music for the words and lyrics that we have, it would have been likely in a minor key. It would have been slower, um, downer music because of the situation that David and even others found themselves in. Um, Songs to sing in moments of hard times. Songs to sing after a year of struggle. After a year of sickness and pandemic. A year of uh, riots. A year of death. Injustice. A year of hardship, family struggle, over and over and over. You can see that come out in these psalms just before. But we get to Psalm 61, and and then if we look at the psalms after that, they're very different. They're psalms of trust, psalms of praise, psalms of hope, uh, psalms looking to the truth and looking forward to the realization of those You can just do your study this week as you're reading now the Psalms after Psalm 61 in our Bible reading plan. Watch as these Psalms of trust and hope come off the page. And so Psalm 61 is kind of right in the middle. Graham talked about a a shift in tone in Psalm 44. This is kind of a shift in the whole second book of Psalms, turning from lament to praise. And this is what we need. Christian church, think about it. Last year, at this moment, uh, at at last Easter, we were all in our homes, likely. Uh, Maybe watching on a screen or doing a Bible study with your family. uh, Something like that. We weren't able to gather together. And Lord knows all that you have faced this past year. But I'm sure you probably could have written, and maybe you even did, write out your own laments your own devotionals and journals this past year of hardship that you have faced. Thanks be to God, though, this year, 2021, we're gathered again together, amen? And we're worshiping the risen Christ, and we're looking at one another. Uh, We are hearing one another as Graham let us sing these songs, not only to the Lord, but to hear one another. Uh, We are praising God, and, and we're worshiping, and we have hope. And David had hope when he wrote this psalm. It was uh, a situation like many of us have faced. In fact, when he wrote this, most commentators uh, say that David, because of the language of this psalm, even though in Psalm 61 we don't have the superscription, it doesn't tell us why David wrote this, when David wrote this. But we can look at the language of it and guess about what time he wrote it. He acknowledges himself as king. So we know that it's after Saul has died and David has become king over all of Israel. Uh, It also, though, uh, mentions a prayer, a prayer that God would prolong the life of the king, a moment in time when David doesn't think he will live very much longer unless God intervenes. Most commentators think that this is probably happening when David's son usurped the throne in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 15, and David had to run for his life from his very own son. Not many of us have had to do that uh, in our own histories, and yet this is the hardship that David is facing, running from his very own son for his very own life calling upon the name of the Lord. And that's helpful for us to be able to understand what David is feeling. 2 Samuel 15 verse 30 says, But David went up the ascent up on the Mount of Olives. 
weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. I hope you can picture the situation that David is finding himself in. Again, one that I think many of us have found ourselves in at some point this past year. Weeping, bowing our heads, mourning, lamenting what has happened to us ourselves, what has happened to our family, what is happening to others that we love, what is happening to just people in general, made in God's image in this world. And so David's prayer was a real prayer in a real moment of time that not only helped him in that moment as he looked to the Lord for help, but it also will help us. It helped others afterwards. I told you this is in book two of the Psalms, and so 300 years later, it's thought that most likely Hezekiah, who was another king of Judah, um, compiled these psalms of David and put them into a book because they too, hundreds of years after David's life, were facing very similar circumstances and needed these godly, biblical, truth-filled prayers and songs to help them lament well, and also to help them pray well, that would eventually help them sing well. And that's what we need this morning too. And so let's look at it in Psalm 61. Daniel read it well for us this morning. And if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, that you would take this prayer and this song with you this week, uh, I encourage you to write this down. In Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2, we see a prayer when my heart is faint. Now, I've, this is David's prayer. I've written these titles, these points for you so that they might be meaningful to you when you take them away from this place. But write this down. A prayer when my heart is faint. And there David says to the Lord in verse 1, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. David's not doubting in this moment that God can't hear him. David is fully aware that the Lord, though he doesn't have ears, can hear very, very well. And not only can he hear David's prayer, he can hear all of his children's prayers better than any parent could in their own home. God hears your prayers, Christian. He hears you when you cry to him. When you call out to him for help, he hears you. You you need to know that. Even in the midst of whatever you're facing, even if you can't hear yourself calling and crying out, the Lord can hear you. He, He hears your prayer. But David's not just happy with the Lord hearing him and registering David's prayer in a book somewhere. David wants an answer. And I think we all find ourselves in that time even tired of praying at certain moments because we don't just want to pray again. We want to see an answer. We want to see God move. We want to see God do something. We want to see God act in those moments. And that's what David's looking for. He's lamented for 10 chapters because of the brokenness in his life up to this point in the journey. And now he wants God to move. And he calls out and he cries to the Lord. In verse 2, we see he's crying from the ends of the earth. I call to you when my heart is faint. Now, David was physically unable, like we are now, to get to the ends of the earth. As if there were an end, because it's round, just to let you know. That he couldn't get to the ends of the earth. He's not that far. If he wrote this song, according to 2 Samuel 15, he's on the Mount of Olives, which overlooks his home and the tabernacle in Jerusalem. He can see it. And yet he says, I'm at the ends of the earth. 
even as close as he was to Jerusalem, it's as if he is at the ends of the earth. Now talk about lament. Talk about a place of darkness. Jerusalem was everything to David. It was everything to Israel. It was the place where the tabernacle was residing at that moment. It's the place where David wanted to build a house for the Lord, a temple. But God said, no, not you. Your boy Solomon will take care of that. You worship, worship me in this tabernacle. And David has been kicked out of Jerusalem, running for his life away from his son who's taken the throne. He's not that far from Jerusalem. He's on the Mount of Olives looking back and he says, it's like I'm at the ends of the earth. I wonder if you've felt that way. As far from God as you've ever felt. What you need to know is he's nearer than you could have ever realized. He's right there. And that's why David's calling. He's calling because he knows he's near. And yet his heart is faint. It's weak. He can barely get the words out in this point. And if you're facing that kind of moment in your life, if you face that kind of year of your life, and you feel like you're really, really couldn't get farther from the Lord than right now, after this year, after this decade, after this lifetime, he's nearer than you could ever imagine. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, Paul makes that point very clear. He calls those to seek the Lord and find that he's not far from any. And so David's experiencing these hard moments, and yet it's in these hard moments when he trusts the Lord and he perseveres. Spurgeon said this about this moment. He says of himself, when my heart is overwhelmed, like David, when the huge waves of trouble wash over me, and I'm completely submerged, not only as to my head, but also my heart. It is hard to pray when the very heart is drowning. Yet gracious men and women plead best at such times. Tribulation brings us to God and brings God to us. Faith's greatest triumphs are achieved in our heaviest trials. Do you know if you're facing that moment right here, right now, know that God hears you, but know you may pray your very best prayer in that moment. Because in that moment, you realize that you're desperate in need. And the only one that can save you is the Lord himself. And in that moment, you'll pray a better prayer than you've prayed in all of the good times, in all of the times when you had plenty, in all of the times when you didn't need any help. Because it's here in the moment that we realize how big and how great and how good our God is and how inadequate, how in need, how desperate we really are, how small we really are. Where do you go when you face these moments? Where have you been going this week, this year, to another person, to a substance, to a website? to a social media platform? No, David goes to the Lord looking for an answer. Christian, go to the Lord for your help. If you don't know Christ, if you don't know the Lord as your Father this morning, know that you need to go to Him to find help in these moments. And David opens with this call to prayer, and he prays, I'm going to note three things this morning. And the first one is this, underneath this prayer. He says, lead me to you, my rock of refuge. This is how you would take David's prayer and make it your own. You would pray to the Lord and say, lead me to you, God, my rock of refuge. David says it this way in the end of verse 2, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David is using this picture this image of a rock uh, to either show that he's down in the valley and needing help in this moment and looking up and needs to be dragged up to the high places to gain security or, 
Or or like Spurgeon was mentioning, that in the midst of a flood, he needs a, a rock to grasp hold of in the midst of the flood that's about to pour over him. And David's prayer uh, is, is just that. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He knows that he's not in a safe place. He's not in a secure place. He needs help to get there even. And he's asking the Lord to be his guide. As if the Lord would be in front of him, showing him on this journey of faith how to get to a place of safety, a place of security, a place of provision, a place of help. And David looks to the only one that is going to be able to get him up to that place, and that's the Lord. Lead me to the rock. And it's not just some physical rock. Remember, if David wrote this in 2 Samuel 15, he's on the high place. He's on the mountain of olives. And yet he knows there's a rock even higher than that. Who is it? It's the Lord himself. It's not another mountain, though there were other mountains higher than that one around him that he could see. He's asking the Lord to lead him to himself. This is what Israel has known about the Lord. In fact, in Genesis chapter 49, you may have read that recently in our Bible reading plan. Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his 12 sons, he says in verse 23, the archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile. How? By the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Yahweh, the Lord himself, was known as the stone, the rock of Israel that they were being built upon, that they were to trust in, that they were to look for help, that they were to look for security and safety and provision. And so David is going back and doing what all of his fathers before him did, which is asking the very rock himself to lead him to himself. Are you praying that prayer? Lord, lead me to Yourself. Are you saying in the midst of your struggle, get me out of this? In in those moments of hard times, do you just want out of the situation or do you want more of God in the midst of the situation knowing you likely will face some of those hard situations again in the future? If our prayer is only to get out, of the situation, away from the person, or whatever it may be, to provide for this need, then we're missing out on the Lord himself in the midst of those moments. In each of these little sections here, David prays, lead me here to the rock that is higher than I, and then in verse 3 he says, for, here's the reason, why, why are you praying that, David? For you... God, lead me to the rock who is you. You are higher than I, for you have been my refuge. Remember that word. You've been my refuge, my safe place, my security, a strong tower against the enemy. And you can imagine uh, what's been happening uh, in the life of Israel up to this point. Uh, They're being attacked from all sides, and yet the city of Jerusalem has stood strong, but David knows he needs an even stronger tower than that one to be able to help him persevere through this, and he calls God his refuge, and I think refuge is really important in the Psalms, and if you go back to Psalm chapters 1 and 2, which are known as the gateway into the entire book of Psalms. There in Psalm 1, the psalmist says, blessed is the man who, and he begins to list off this list, that if you're just honest, and if all of us are just honest, none of us could live up to. 
None of us would be able to live up to this list. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And it goes on and on and on. But chapter 2 follows with the Lord himself saying that he has anointed his one and only son. And he set him as a king over all the other kings of the nations. And though you can't fulfill Psalm 1, the end of Psalm 2 in verse 12 says, Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 1 opens, Blessed is the man who does these things. We read that. We know we can't do it. But Psalm 2 ends, Blessed are all who take refuge in the one, my son, my king, who can do all those things, who's never walked in the counsel of the wicked. And so we see this theme of refuge popping up in psalm after psalm after psalm. As you're reading them, uh, church, just circle them, write, write them out, all the different places you see them. And David is asking the Lord to lead him to himself in a place that's higher than he is because God has been his refuge in the past and he's going to be his refuge in the future. There's no other refuge. There's no other safe place. You may be able to get yourself out of this moment, but there is a moment coming when people of every nation, every tribe, every tongue will face a moment when they face God himself. And if you have not taken refuge in God's one and only son, Jesus, who we know died on the cross, for the sins of all of those who would believe in him. And he died and was buried, and he rose again on the third day, conquering sin and death and offering life, life here, abundant life here, and eternal life in heaven with God to all who take refuge in him. Christian, are you taking refuge in the midst of whatever hardship you're facing this week? Are you taking refuge in yourself, in your own strength, in your own bank account, in your own abilities and resumes, in your own friends? Or are you taking refuge in the Lord? If you've come here this morning and you're not a Christian, and you're here with a family member or because a friend invited you, I want to ask you, are you, have you ever taken refuge in the Lord? Have you ever considered needing to take refuge in Jesus Christ, God's Son, when you face His Father one day and have to give an account for your life. I I can't urge you enough to find refuge in the Lord Himself. In this moment, or right after this moment in Psalm 62, as the composers composed and compiled these psalms together, if you look in verse 1 and 2, we see that David is pertinent to wait on the Lord to act. In verse 1, he says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Or verse 6, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Is the Lord your only rock? Or do you have some pebbles that you've been trusting in recently? Cry out to the Lord. Wait on Him to deliver you, not yourself. Trust in Him this morning. David goes on, though. He prays in verse 4 and 5. After he says, lead me to you, my rock of refuge, he says, let me dwell with you, my tent of refuge. Let me dwell with you. In verse 4, he says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Now, I love camping, even tent camping, but no one wants to go camping forever. 
No one wants to dwell in a tent, in a sleeping bag, even on an air mattress or even in a camper necessarily forever. It's hard. It's, not, it's temporary. What, what, David must be saying something more than he, he wants to go camping with God the rest of his life, which, by the way, I saw someone make the point this week. So don't just think that that's not what some people are telling you this psalm means, is to go camping with God. What does this mean? Well, like I said earlier, if, if David is up on the Mount of Olives, he's looking into Jerusalem, he sees the tabernacle, the tent, where God's presence is made known there in the Holy of Holies. It's the tent that David says it's not good enough. You deserve a house, God. You deserve a, a palace, a masterpiece, a temple. But God said, I haven't needed a temple for hundreds of years. What makes you think that you need to build me a temple? He says, I'll get a temple, but it won't be by your hands. You worship me in this tent. And so he does. He worships in the tent. And David longs to dwell in the tent with the Lord forever. Really what he's saying is, I want to dwell with you, God, forever. Even if I never get back to the palace. Even if I never get back to the throne. I want to dwell with you forever. Christian, can you say that? Can you say that in the midst of a, a year of COVID? Or can you say that with the illnesses and sicknesses that you've dealt with for much longer than the past year? Can you say that in the midst of the hard uh, hand that you've been dealt in this life. God, I want to dwell with you even if I have to endure this the rest of my years. David got to the point where he was able to say that, that he knew that God was better in the midst of struggles than without the struggles and no God. What about you? What about you? David, he tells us the reason why he can make that his prayer. Uh, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Again, he gives us another picture here. Uh, sometimes um, in, the, in the Psalms even, uh, the psalmist will anthropomorphize God, which means to give him human characteristics. Your hand, O oh God, your foot will not slip. Your ear hears me. That's anthropos, man, uh, anthropomorphism. This, if you wanted to know, is zoomorphism. Because the psalmist is giving God the attributes of a bird. Let me dwell let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings god you're like a mother bird hovering over its nest its eggs its chicks and will go to battle for their life they take shelter underneath that mother bird in in the same way david is saying i'm coming under your wings oh god you are going to be my refuge. You're going to be the one that takes care of me. You're going to be the one that provides for me. Why? Verse 5, for you, O God, have heard my vows. You've heard, David says, what I've committed to you. I've committed my whole life to you. And he goes on, he says, you have given me a heritage of those who fear your name. What is that? David, it seems that he's hinting at here that God has made a promise to him that he would have a heritage, he would have generations following him that would love the Lord and trust the Lord. In fact, we know from reading our Bibles that that promise comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7 uh, and that entire chapter, but I want to read verses 12 through 16. This is God's promise to David 
that David is laying claim to right here. This is the reason why, God, why David is praying to God to be able to dwell in his tent forever. That's a bold claim apart from this promise. But this is the promise that God gives David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. God says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, if God tells you that, you better believe you better be praying that you want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever because the Lord has promised it to you and he's going to make it happen. And David is laying claim to that promise. He's holding fast to that promise in the midst of this hard moment right here. And we too, we have many promises like this. Many promises that, like David has here that we can hold on to in the midst of our hard times and pray to the Lord and trust Him through whatever hardship you may be facing. We can trust Him that God not only answered and fulfilled that promise in 2 Samuel 7, He actually does deliver David out of this hardship takes him back into Jerusalem, gives him his house back, gives him the throne back. If God did it then, he can do it again. And yet, we're not promised deliverance all the time. So, Christian, make your prayer, lead me to you, God, my tent of refuge. So, even though you may not be delivered in this life, on this earth, from whatever hardship you may be facing, you know that one day when you face God, there you'll be delivered from sin, from death, eternal death, separated from God in hell, to be able to enjoy being with God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. We have a great opportunity to to make that our prayer to the Lord there. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He may, has one more part to this prayer. And he says in verse 6, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Up to this point, if you've been paying attention, maybe you notice the pronouns in, in this passage up to this point. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter. You've heard my vows. You've given me the heritage it's all me, me, and my, my up to this point. But now David's language changes. It's no longer simply a prayer for God to deliver him. But David, having remembered that promise from 2 Samuel chapter 7, he's looking forward. He's looking to the future generations that will sit on the throne in Israel. And a future king that's above all other kings. And David is making his prayer here, not simply for himself, but for the kings and the king in the future. 
And he prays, prolong the life of the king. Don't let me die here in this moment. Don't let my heritage die without moving forward as you promised. Don't stop this lineage being carried out till its fulfillment in the King of Kings. Prolong my life, O Lord. May his years, maybe Solomon's, maybe his sons after that, but ultimately the Messiah who is to come, the King of Kings, God's Son that comes from Psalm 1 and 2. God's King who God anointed in Psalm 1 and 2. May his years endure to all generations. Do you hear the resurrection in this passage? David praying to prolong the life of the king. The king. Not himself anymore, but the king that is to come. Prolong his life. May he be enthroned forever. This who is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Well, this prayer, this prayer of David's helps us, again, thirdly, taking notes, let me remember the life of the king. Let me remember the life of the king. David wants to remember the life of the king that was promised to him and looks forward into the future to the life of the king of kings. And this is a helpful prayer for David here. But this becomes, as I said earlier, a a helpful prayer for God's people and God's kings hundreds of years later when Hezekiah compiles these psalms into book two of the psalms. And if you don't know, Hezekiah was a king of Judah. He had already watched the northern tribes of Israel get taken captive by Assyria. And their cities laid waste and their kings taken as slaves. He's watched all of the northern tribes be taken away and destroyed. And Hezekiah is the king of the two southern tribes in Judah. In 2 Kings, verse 18, 3-7 describe Hezekiah this way. And let me just say, this is radical compared to all of the other kings before and after. Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. You remember that, church, last week? For until these days, the people of Israel made offerings to it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among all those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. But he kept commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. God has done great things for Hezekiah because he has followed the Lord. But it wasn't too long after that description that even Hezekiah himself faced Assyria coming to destroy Jerusalem and Judah. It wasn't too long after that that Hezekiah himself endured a sickness that Isaiah, the prophet, told him, get your house in order, literally. You're going to die. This sickness will lead to death. And Hezekiah prayed. Hezekiah prayed probably a prayer like David prayed in Psalm 61. Prolong the life of your king, O God, for your name's sake. And Isaiah says that God heard his prayer and gave him 15 more years. And he confused Assyria to turn around from destroying them and to go the opposite way. Not his own ability to save himself from sickness or save himself from the enemy. He prayed to the only one who could save him, and the Lord delivered him. The Lord delivered him from the sickness that led to death, 
and from the enemy that was trying to kill them. Well, there's another king that I think prayed this prayer as well, and that's Jesus. Luke 24 tells us that Jesus interpreted the laws of the Old Testament, the prophets in the Old Testament, and the Psalms of the Old Testament through himself. He saw himself in these songs, in the book of Psalms. Jesus sung and prayed Psalm 61 at some point in his life. I wonder, I don't know this, I wonder if this psalm came onto Jesus' mind when he had to leave Jerusalem on that Thursday night, knowing that he would be delivered over to death. And where did he go? The Mount of Olives. The same place where David prayed this prayer when he was leaving Jerusalem. I wonder if David, I mean, I think we even have biblical precedent to say that Jesus prayed a very similar prayer to David. Prolong the life of your king, O God. But he added something right after that. Not my will, but your will be done. Because Jesus was willing to die and to be buried, knowing that he would eventually live again. He didn't he asked the Lord to prolong his life? If there's any other way for you to save your children, do it, God, so that I don't have to die. But if there's no other way, I'll die so that they can live. And that's what we're celebrating in the resurrection. That's what we're celebrating. David was able to finish Psalm 61 with a, a song of praise. Day after day, in verse 8, a a song of praise, day after day, because he knew that God would fulfill these promises. David says, so I will ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. David was going to trust in the promises of the Lord. If you're a Christian here, are you trusting In the promises of the Lord, are you trusting in the death and the resurrection of the Lord? Jesus is the rock of Israel. He's the rock that David needed the Lord to lead him to in the end. Jesus, in the end, according to the Old Testament and in the New Testament, is the stone of Zion, the cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. It says that in Isaiah. It says that in 1 Peter. Peter quoting Isaiah in 1 Peter 2, 4-6. That Jesus Himself is the rock of Israel, the cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. If you've come here this morning and you don't know Christ, if you've not looked and turned to Him for help in trying times, know that there's an even more trying time facing all of us in the end. And only those who have taken refuge in God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ, only those who believe in Him will not be put to shame. Look to the Lord this morning for help, both in this life and in the next life to come. But Christian, let us end this psalm, end this day and every day with a song of praise. If we've come up to this point in our life or in this week or in this past year lamenting, let us remember these truths Let us pray a prayer like this and let us leave singing a song of praise. And there's so many different scriptures I could end with, but I chose this one because of what we're about to do afterwards in baptism, where one uh, is coming forward to publicly declare that they have believed in Christ, that they have 
turned to Jesus as their refuge. This is what Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11, in light of Jesus' death and resurrection, in light of the fact that God prolonged the days of his son, of his king Jesus, in the resurrection on the third day, Paul makes this truth known to the church in Rome. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we had have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life, the prolonged life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Christian, if you, knowing you were dead in your sins, have put your faith and trust in Christ, knowing you've come from death to life, therefore live like it. If you have never trusted Christ, realize that you, like all of us, before we put our faith and trust in Christ, are described by the Bible as being dead in your sins and trespasses. And the only way to be made alive is by grace through faith. There's no amount of good works that you could do to be able to save yourself. You need to be led to the rock that is higher than you. And the rock is Christ. He died for you. He rose for you. Put your faith, put your hope and trust in Christ. Repent of your sins and trust Him this morning and find the help that you've been looking for. Let's pray.